My name is Michael Cormican and I'm your moderator today. I'd like to welcome you all here. The uh, topic is Canada's role in sustainable agricultural development in China. Evidence of earliest domestication of rice has been found in China as far back as 7,500 years uh, BC. That's a long time ago. China's development of farming over the uh, centuries has played a key role in supporting what is now the world's largest population. Nevertheless, famines occurred periodically throughout Chinese history, including uh, during the rule of the Chinese Communist Party and Chairman, Mao, uh, Chairman Mao's belief that man can conquer nature led to the implementation of many irrational policies and production practices. Since China opened uh, its door about 30 years ago, the economy and agricultural production has expanded uh, rapidly. This has caused many environmental and ecological problems. If China continues along this path, a catastrophic agricultural uh, production uh, failure is waiting to happen. Can a young country like Canada and an old country like China improve its current agricultural production practices or assist uh, an old co uh, country like China uh, improve its current agricultural practices? Our speaker today is uh, Dr. Chi Chang, uh, Chang, sorry, from uh, he was born in China. He moved to Taiwan with his parents in 1949, where he grew up and was educated. Moving to Canada in 1969, he completed his postgraduate study, obtaining a PhD from the University of Manitoba in 1976. Dr. Chang has worked at the Lesbridge Research Station since 1978 as a research scientist. His areas of research are soil and the environment. Good connection. He has been involved in several international projects, one in Sudan in 1982, and two uh, in uh, two CETA projects in China from 1991 to 2002, and again from 2006 to 2008. He has just returned to Lesbridge after working for two years in uh, Chengdu, China. With, without any further ado, I ask you to give a big round of applause for uh, Dr. Chen Du. Good afternoon, or maybe good morning still. Yeah, everybody. Um, thank you for your introduction. And um, um, I also want to thank you. SAPA gave me this opportunities and... Uh, to, to, to talk to you about uh, uh, the uh, China agriculture. And I'd like to thank you, Mr. Page, uh, personal invitation. Um, I also thank you all of you to attending this one, and it's my great honor to talk to you. Now, I have to be a little bit cautious because I cannot represent anybody but myself to speak this subject. So because the... Uh, if I say I'm working for government, represent government, I'm in big trouble. So I, I have to say this is for my personal, as a citizen, uh, I talk about this subject. 
The subject we talked about, uh, the, the, chair, the uh, chairperson already introduced, is uh, Canada's role in the sustainable agriculture development in China. Um, uh, chairman also introduced uh, a little bit about my background. Um, I would uh, say a little bit more about myself. I was, my parents from Changsha, Hunan province. And uh, in China, we consider where your parents come from and you are from there, that, that part of a country. Actually, I was born in Guiyang. It's in this place. And during the communist takeover, our, my father is the Chiang Kai-shek army colonel. So we have to escape. So we moved to Taiwan. Then uh, 1969, I've been grow up and educated in Taiwan uh, until 1969, moved to Manitoba, get my graduate school work done there. Then the last two two years, actually two years, 10 months, we spent in, in Chengdu on one of the CEDA projects. So um, my, my you, you can see I'm not really an expert on China. I'm just... From my working experience, I'm just talking about my working experience. We have lots of Chinese, uh, China experts here. For example, uh, Mr. Page, he's probably more uh, a China expert than I am. I'm just uh, talk, discuss if there is something uh, wasn't quite true. We also have friends from China. They probably can tell me a thing or, or, or so, uh, whether I will speak right or wrong here. So will we continue on. We do a comparison of China and Canada. You see, the China is located most south of uh, uh, the Canada. Uh, in Beijing, it's almost the uh, same latitude as the uh, San Francisco. So it's much more south than than uh, than, than Canada. Um, if we look at the population, we only have 31 million people, maybe 31, 32. But in China, it was 1.3 billion. It's about 40 times of, of, uh, of uh, Canada. And we have much more bigger territory, not much, a little bit more uh, than China. And our land base is sl slightly smaller than, than China. Okay. And, but we have more water territory than, than, than China has. That plays an important role. And climate conditions, we are from temper and the south to sub -article, to article and the north. But the China is much more uh, complicated from tropical all to sub-Arctic uh, sub in the north, northern part, and as well as the plateau area. It's very cold up there, you know. So uh, climate is complicated. Our landscape of China is much more complicated, more I would say interest because they have uh, mountains, uh, high plateaus, deserts, and plains, deltas, and hills. But we just have a plain mountains and the lowland. Uh, so it's you know, so it's a little bit uh, different. But arable land we have almost uh, 4.6 percent. In in China, it's about 14 percent of them, uh, 15 percent. And uh, you know, we. Be probably three three times more, uh, 3.5 times more, but they have 40 times more people. So then you know how stress uh, of the land in China will be. And another things we have much more fresh water 
than, than China. And this actually become very important. Uh, I say it's a emerging problems in China with lacking of the water rather than land. Uh, look at the China agriculture, most on the eastern part of the cropland, most on the eastern part of China. And those dark color is the, is the uh, uh, floodplain area. All those light green area is more or less in, uh, in the rolling countries. So it's uh, hills and this. And over here, most is plateaus, mountains area. And here is desert. And all those is grassland area. So on the western part of it is grassland area in, in, in China. Um, current uh, China agricultural uh, situations uh, is one of the largest agricultural industry in the world. You know, so because of the sheer number of people there, uh, the total input and outputs outpace any any country in the world. Even you know. They use more fertilizer, more chemicals, and uh, all the things. And the largest population to feed, to feed, we mentioned that. And the agriculture production is really mining all their resources, you know, rather than, so keep continue doing that, you will eventually run out of the mines. So, so it becomes ecological. It's already some of the ecological and environmental problems in, in, uh, in China. Um, look at the China. This one says it's 10.4%. In China, one of the biggest problems get the two, truly accurate statistical numbers in there because they have so many uh, statistical official statistical numbers depending on what they want to do. So this shows about 10%. But if you 10 plus this unusable part of the cultivated land is probably 12%, close to that 14 Fifteen percent over there, and the grassland is a big. It's it's the biggest part of China. Uh, it's probably one of the world biggest grassland area in in, in the world here. Um, there is a forest. It's getting smaller and smaller. It used to be a large area of forest. Then the uh, part of the abandoned forest for forest uh, areas. Um, cropland. The crop. The like. Like the um, chairman uh, mentioned before, Mao Zedong, China, old philosophies believe balance and harmony. So balance with with balance use of the natural and uh, harmonize with uh, the natural and uh, peoples. But the Mao chairman Mao is totally different. He thinks human can conquer the natural. So he will do all the things he want. Encourage population growth. When you have a big population growth, he thinks human can do anything if they made his mind. So then he will abuse in some policy will be, you know, uh, famous, uh, the, uh, the great leap forward. And that he thinks can use the human resources can leap China, lift China from 19th century to 20th century, just just because the sheer people, but that was a failure. That was caused a lot of troubles. So, just shows the cropland also. Oh no, sorry. Uh, they have a plant area, a nice fertile lands, and normal agriculture. What we doing? 
And they also using a lot of hills. Look at this terracing in, in the whole valley here. Uh, look at this river delta and all this land, are not only delta, but also on top of the, the, uh, the hills and terracing all over the places. By the way, this is all picture I taken from airplane, so it's 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 all from there. And you can see, you have a uh, the river basin cultivation, but also they cut the top off the hill and growing crop on top of them. So they utilize almost every type of landform because a human can conquer the the, the nature. Look at those terracing the whole valley from from there. You can see every piece of land is being cultivated. Really a big scar in the, on the earth. Uh, look at here. The cities here. Look at those terracing land cultivating. And uh, you can see nice delta develop, but also into the every corner of the earth. They can find the land they want because they have to grow, because they have very limited uh, flood plain areas. And another shot of that. And this is in Tibet. And a little delta area they can grow. The cropping land in, in, in Tibet is very limited because the high elevations and, and, and stuff like that. And so they are only growing very little bodies in the hollow bodies in some of those delta areas, small areas. And even in the very dry regions, they also develop the uh, cultivated. And uh, look at this, uh, all the terracings. Uh, so every piece of land, everything they, they want to use, because Chairman Mao believe man can conquer their nature. So lots of deforestation was happening right in that period of time. So that, but the, after the... Cultural Revolution finished in 1978. The Deng Xiaoping started opening up the, the the door, and also from collective farming to individual farming. What that means used to be everybody farming in the same spots, and everybody eating the from the same part of rice. So everybody will share, just like our headlights here. But this is political, not religious. So. Then after 79, they divided the land to contract to individual farmers so they can farming or herder their own, own uh, production. And that policy change plus the input, you can see since 78 and going, the total dollar values increasing almost 30 times the total production values. So that's quite a dr dramatic change. This is 19... Uh, the 2006 values. We don't have a newer ones. So you can see both crop and livestock both increases dramatically. Um, you can see from this table, grain is a traditional cropping. So the last almost 30 years or 27 years, they only have increasing only probably production only 1.6 uh, Times, but if you look at the the meat and the fishery, they all 
over 10% increase in the last 10, 10, 10 years. Uh, 10 times, not 10%, 10 times increasing. It's a tremendous increase. The fruit, this is the outboard. The reason is the fruit shows even higher increasing. That's due to they reclassified the melon from vegetable to fruit. So that's why the, that's increasing in uh, uh, 2003. So this figure is the outlier. So, uh, so, but overall speaking, you can see it's about 2, 2.7 uh, times uh, more uh, increasing in the last 20 years, 27 years. And you can see the income, it's increased in the, in the rural area but not as much as urban area. So in urban, they are earning about 8,000 more plus per capita in the city folks per year. And that's probably equivalent to uh, 13,000, 14,000 Canadian, yeah, Canadian dollars. And the, the ratio I checked this morning is uh, one Canadian dollar equivalent to one uh, six RMB. That's uh, Chinese uh, yuan da, uh, units. So, and the, sorry, uh, the urban people are still earning only three hundred and forty. So it's quite a big gap between the urban and uh, and and the rural area. So farmers still very poor in China, overall speaking. Um, China used to be a big import uh, for the food. But the last few years, this is their exporting, coarse grain, corn, and rice, and the import very little. So they become a net export country. So, uh, so provide a cheaper food for, for, for lots of places. And the vegetable and fruit, even more, we didn't show here data. Uh, the, like I said, the increase in productivity, it's from the policy, but also as well as technology change plus increase in the input. You can see the irrigated land increasing about 20% from 85 to, uh, to, to 2002, 2005, 2006. So that using more water. And we're speaking, water is very short in China. So they have more input, needs more water for irrigation. And also their fertilizer increasing. You know, from 60 to, to 78 before open. After opening, look at the, uh, the, the rate of fertilizer using. It's much faster than before. So huge fertilizer use. And we can break down the fertilizer, the nitrogen, uh, phosphorus, and potash, this is more interesting to us because China is the biggest, uh, our potash uh, supporting country. We look at the potash, basically have nothing to start with. Now they're using quite a bit of potash, I think, uh, supporting our Saskatchewan friends there. Uh, they also use more complicated fertilizer, compound fertilizer. It's a formulator fertilizer. It's more higher uh, efficiency. You can see the nitrogen uh start taping off to about 20, 22, 23 million ton, the nitrogen. And we know China using nitrogen efficiency is still very low. 
it's about only about uh, 30 to 40 percent. Just imagine the rest of uh, uh, 60 percent uh, left in the soil is a potential pollution for water as well as air because the nitrogen can produce nitro oxide as one of the greenhouse gases. So, so that caused a, a lot of concern. Look at this almost, uh, uh, you know, 15 million tons of fertilizer each year dumped into our environment. And also power use is increasing drastically in, in there. Uh, this is including both fuel, fossil fuel, as well as electricity. And uh, the demand for electricity in China is not only agriculture, but also industry. And uh, in one of the uh, river, uh, it's about 200 kilometers. And we last count, there's about 12 hydroelectricity station was built in there. Just imagine that environmental impact with that little stretch with 12 hydroelectric power plants in there. And uh, also the population still increasing, but in the reduced rates now uh, in, the in the rural area. But even the population increasing, but the manpower decreased. So this is cause caused a lot of trouble uh, in, in, in China. So, so all those will cause lots of soil degradation, water degradation, and air pollution problem, ecological, and food safety. We all heard that story about China. So the intensified cultivation, also overgrazing, caused a lot of problems. They used to be used animal draft, you know, in the history, and now they're more used in the power because they short of manpower in China. In the agricultural land, so that caused lots of soil erosion. Look at the soil deep cuts in the there, and also here and wind erosions, and the dust blow into Beijing. Not only that, also in North America. So the pollution is no border, and uh, they're burning straw. They don't because for high production, they need a, they don't know proper manage the straw, cause a lot of trouble, and the airport has to close. It's the news. Also, they pump the groundwater, groundwater dropping, and the soil start cracking. So this in Herbie plant, they find almost five lines of cracking. And one of the longest one is about eight kilometers, and some has 10 meter deep cracks on. So all the soil start moving. And the water pollutions, and also the dead sea zone. This is not only a China problem, it's all over the problem. Agriculture is one of the contributions, like I said, the fertilizer. So this development is not sustainable. So Canadian role, what we can do, uh, we, we already done a lot of things. We try to make the better sustainable policy, also the better management, basically what the governors really. Um, the sustainable, one of the problems in China, they have one policy across the country, and that's caused a lot of problems. For example, they try to plant trees, and they have a, a budget to plant trees. They were planting the trees in the desert, and you know how that problem comes through. So they never can get through. 
So we will do trainings. Um, we are better for TOT training with uh, all the and farmer schools and uh, participatory. So this from bottom up take things. So we the, the in the cropland we do the training, uh, group discussion, not like classroom structures. Um, also uh, teach them how to do the straw management. So protect the soil and the rangeland. Uh, the last part of it is uh, we uh, farmer associations, the empowerment of the farmers for them uh, to be able to decide what they're going to do. For example, we have one places we have them produce the yak, uh, York producers. They get together, form them old association, rather than sell their uh, yogurt in local, but now they expand it to other market. So this way, rather than being controlled by government, they will do their decision. So this is empowerment of the farmer. So, so this way, the farmer can make more money and do whatever, whatever they want to, but at least they have that freedom. So this is uh, what I'm briefly introduced because time is limited. And after that, uh, open for and just have some fun to look at some of the picture I took in, uh, in China.